Well, welcome to week 10 of our series, Thy Kingdom Come. We've only got one week left in this series, and we're moving towards the end, literally, and also, well, figuratively, in the sense that next week we're going to look at what does the end look like? What, what does the end times look like, so to speak? And so we're going to unpack and kind of examine all the key things that will have to happen to usher in the kingdom. We touched on it a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to go into greater detail next week. But this week we want to continue our conversation about the kingdom and culture. And, and I think you're going to be, well, not all of you, but some of you are going to probably be a little bit disappointed that I'm not giving you more specifics. Uh, we live in a culture right now in, a, in an environment where there's a lot of tension going on. We talked about all those ideologies that are fighting and conflicting with one another, and we're kind of caught in the crosshairs as the church. So what is our role supposed to be when it comes to the culture? How are we to react to all those ideologies? Uh, how, how are we to respond to all the things happening around us within the culture that are impacting the lives of those in our families, our churches, our communities, and, and around the world? What, what's our role? What are we to do? What role are we supposed to play as citizens of the kingdom? And, and that's really where I hope to go in this week's lesson and, and again, you may, in the end, be a little bit disappointed that I'm not giving you more specifics, things for you to do out and about within the culture. But really, it's, it's got a lot more to do with who you are, your identity, and how you live out that identity within the culture. And, and it'll tie in, if you heard uh, Cody's sermon this last Sunday, it's going to tie in to a lot of what he had to say in that sermon. So... The church, it seems, has three options when it comes to dealing with culture. And Cody covered these in his, his sermon. The first is to condemn it and then try to correct it. And we're great at this, right? We, we are great at looking at the culture, finding every flaw in it, and then trying to correct it. Telling people how to change their lives. Telling people how to change their behavior. And it's all based on what we believe to be the truth, which we should do. But in a way, we're expecting of the world something they can't pull off. If indeed those outside of Christ, those within the world who are not followers of Christ, are dead in their trespasses and sins and blind to the own, their own sin nature, then us expecting them to live according to God's Word is really a lesson in disappointment. They can't pull it off. They don't have what they need to pull it off. And so we can condemn it. We can even try to correct it, but at the end of the day, we will be less than successful. And so the second thing we, we end up doing is we try to compromise. We try to comply with the culture. We blend in with the culture. We take some of those ideologies and we, we bring them into the church's doctrine and we create this strange mix, a toxic blend that never will deliver on the goods. And finally, as Cody said in a sermon, we, we disconnect, we isolate from the culture, we try to pull away from it, and, and we live a, a monastic lifestyle. You know, there's, there's a book that came out recently called The Benedict Option that talks about this very thing, the, the idea of getting away from the world and that there is, there is something good about being able to come to church on Sundays and fellowship with those who look like you, believe like you, and yet that's not the way we're to live our lives. The church is really a sending agency. We come, we're encouraged, we spend time in God's Word, and then we're sent back out into the world so that we might make a difference. So the question is, could there be a fourth option? 
And I think you know what my answer is going to be to that. Yes, there is a fourth option, and that's what this lesson is all about. Here's the problem we have. We tend to put more emphasis on the culture than we do on Christ as Christians. Now, you may find that statement strange, but there's a lot of truth in it because we worry so much about the culture that we take our eyes off of Christ and we forget that He is the answer to what ails the culture. And so we become, become obsessed with what's happening in the culture and we lose sight of the answer is Christ. And so that's something we have to constantly think about and deal with in our own lives. Are we making more of the culture than we are making of Christ? And we've become somewhat culture obsessed. You know, we, we've, we're surrounded by it. It's hard to escape it. It's, it's all over the media and everybody's talking about it. And the last year and a half has been nothing but a deluge of culture conversations, pro and con. Lots of debates, a lot of anger, a lot of animosity, and a million differences of opinion about what's wrong with the culture and how to fix it. Thus, all the ideologies we talked about last week. So we've kind of lost sight of our kingdom mandate. You know, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He said the same thing to Noah. Basically, the same thing was communicated to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the same thing was communicated to Christ in Matthew 28, 20, when he told the disciples that after he left, they were to go and make disciples of all the nations. Again, multiply yourselves, fill the earth with more like you. And, and if we're not careful, we take our eyes off that mandate and we begin to worry about how do we change the culture? How do we redeem the culture? And, and that's really something that we need to be careful about because really what we're trying to do in a way is, is usher in the kingdom. Or we begin to believe that if we can grow the church, that will be the kingdom on earth. But the church is not the kingdom. These are five important things that we need to understand. Secondly, it's the kingdom that creates the church, not the other way around. Our growth, our, our ability to evangelize, we're putting a lot of stock in evangelization in our church this year because we know that within a 10-mile radius of our three campuses are, are more than 800,000 people who do not know Christ. They're unchurched and likely unsaved. But if we're not careful, what we're going to do is put all the emphasis on growing the church in order that we might grow the kingdom. But that's not the mandate. That's not what we're supposed to do. The church gives witness to the kingdom, right? The reason we're here is that we are to witness to the power and the presence of the kingdom in our lives. There's a greater kingdom to come. There's the culmination of the kingdom, and we'll talk about that next week. But we are to be witnesses to the kingdom, and we are an instrument of the kingdom. That's what the church is. As Jesus Christ works His mission out through our lives, that's why we're here. That's why He didn't take us when He saved us, because we have a mission, a mandate to carry out. And we become the custodians of the kingdom here on earth. We are its citizens. We, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the fact that we're ambassadors. We, we represent the kingdom here on earth. It's not here in its fullness, but we are citizens. Just as Jesus Christ came and brought the kingdom through his own life, so do we. And so that's going to be a primary point that we, we want to make as we go through this lesson today. So the church is not the kingdom. Listen to what Paul says, or yeah, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these things in case I am delayed so that you will know how each one must conduct himself in God's household, the church, 
which is the church of the living God. And then catch this, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So here's Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's saying, man, I, I want to come see you. I want to be there as soon as I can. But in the meantime, I need you to understand this, that the church is God's household and it is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Mark Bailey says this in his um, treatise on this passage. He says, this metaphor served to elevate the community of believers as the location of God's presence on earth. The church has become his base of operation in the world. What, what an incredible picture that is, that we are the base of operations for God Almighty in this world. It's how he has chosen to work. Just like he worked through Jesus Christ, he's now working through us. And that's our role. That's our job. And he, Paul says to Timothy that the church is the pillar. But what does that mean? The pillar of what? The, the, the pillar of the truth. And this word that he uses in the Greek, it, it's a support. Just like a, a, a pillar in a building supports the roof or the upper structure, that's exactly what we do. We're like a columnar pillar that upholds the truth of God. That's our role. That's our function. He says we're a foundation. A foundation of what? We're a foundation of the truth. That Greek word literally means we're the ground. So you have the pillar and it sits on the ground and that's what supports the pillar which supports the truth. It's this incredible picture of support and, and it's important. If you don't have a strong column sitting on a strong foundation, whatever, whatever sits above it, <clears throat> excuse me, is going to have a problem remaining where it is. See, we are supporting, we're the foundation for the truth. Th this phrase literally means that we are the supporting pillar of the truth. Well, what truth? What truth are we talking about? The word there is that which is true. Whatever is true. And we know there is truth in the world. We know there is falsehood in the world. We, we know that those ideologies we talked about last week all have a semblance of truth, a bit of truth, but they have a lot of falsehood within them. And so what we have here is this idea that the church is the pillar, the foundation, the very thing that supports the truth, that which is true in any matter of consideration, the only truth. And again, we have to ask, what truth? Well, Paul has a specific truth in mind, just like the other gospel writers did, just like Jesus did. And we have to understand what the truth is that we are supporting. Look at John 1.14. The apostle John writes in the opening of his gospel, he says, And the word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was truth, truth incarnate. The truth, all truth, because God is truth and He is God, He brings the truth of God to earth in His human form. So that's one aspect of the truth. 1 John 14, 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The truth, reality, the meaning behind all things. John 5, 33, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. John the Baptist. John the Baptist confessed that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He, he confessed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the truth in human flesh. And then in John 8, 31 and 32, it says, 
you truly are my, my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth, me, and the truth will set you free. So we're the pillar and support of the truth, the truth as found in Jesus Christ. So if you think about it, the reason we're here, our purpose for being here is to uphold the truth regarding Jesus. And here's what Jesus told the disciples, that when he left, he was going to send them a helper, an advocate, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Don't miss what he's saying here. He's the spirit of truth and he will testify about Jesus who is the embodiment of truth. And you, telling the disciples, must also testify about me. About what? That he is the truth. He is the, the very picture of truth. Everything we know and need to know is found in him. He says, you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. You know the truth. You know that I came. You know that I'm the son of God. You saw me in my resurrected form. You saw me ascend into heaven and you've been given all the promise that I gave to you in, in terms of the Holy Spirit now living within you. And you can rest in that and you're to proclaim that. We are the upholders of all that is true. Everything that revolves around Jesus Christ. So, what does he say? Testify to the truth. We've got to testify to the truth. That's our job as Christians. That's the role of the church. If you want to boil it down to its bare essence, we are here to testify to the truth, the truth regarding Jesus. That means, and this is where I'm going to step on some toes, we're not here to redeem culture. Now, don't, don't read me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. We are to impact the culture, but we're not here to redeem culture. Culture is a thing. Culture is, is not a person. And we have to be careful that we don't concentrate all our hope on fixing the culture. We're not here to institute social justice reform. And these are all things that we hear being bantered about both inside and outside of the church right now. And if we're not careful, we're going to get distracted by these things. We're not to fight for racial equity and equality. And again, don't misrepresent me. We need to care about these things, but they are not our primary mission any more than they were Jesus's primary mission or the disciples' primary mission. So we have to get things in their proper order. We are not here to abolish all cultural inequities, and they do exist, and they grieve the heart of God. Again, we're to care about them, and we are to speak into them, but they are not our primary mission. We're not even to Christianize culture. You know, that's, that's a term that's thrown about today that, that we've got to Christianize the culture. No, we need to make disciples. And there's a huge difference between those two. We need to train up those who know the truth and who can proclaim the truth and live out the truth. So I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7 to kind of flesh this out. Paul says, Of this gospel, the gospel concerning the truth, the truth regarding Jesus, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace to teach and preach the truth, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery of the hidden eight for ages in God. That's what I'm called to do. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Make it visible. Bring it to light. Make sure people can see it, but also understand it and make a decision about it. That's what Paul's mission was. Guess what? That's your mission. That's my mission. And so the goal here, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, is that through the church, us, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, again, don't miss what Paul's saying. He has a mission just like we have a mission. The mission is to proclaim the truth and also to make sure that it is through the church, the body of Christ, those who place their faith in Christ to manifest the manifold wisdom of God, make it known. What's he talking about? This, this is a fascinating idea that Paul is trying to communicate to the Ephesian believers, but also to us. He, he uses this, this phrase, manifold wisdom of God. The, the Greek word is variegated. It's multicolored, multifaceted. It, it's something that is made up of a variety of other things. That's the church. It's like a multicolored garment. The church is supposed to be not a homogeneous place where everybody looks the same, talks the same, dresses the same. It's supposed to be made up of people from every walk of life, every color of skin, every ethnic background. It's supposed to represent God's redeeming power for the world. That's the church. Sadly, when you look at a lot of churches, including our own, it's not as variegated as probably God would like it to be. And that's where so many of these things that we see wrong in the culture come to play. It's got to start here in the church that we're to mirror, we're to show the very variegated aspect of the gospel that it is good news for all. And so the church is not to be this activist organization. We hear a lot about activism right now. We got to get, get out there and get busy and do stuff and fix the world and redeem the culture. We've got to stand up for this and that. No, we are to share the gospel, be the pillar and foundation of the truth so that those living outside of the truth can hear it and be drawn to it so they might become part of this manifold wisdom of God as shown through the body of Christ. You see, we're an active and living illustration of these things. God's wisdom, His truth, His love and power. See, when people look at the church, Christ Chapel and other churches, they should be able to look in and see something really incredible that there are people there of every walk of life, of every economic background, of every ethnic background, and they've come together and they love one another and they share with one another and they care for one another. But again, if you look around the world, if you look around this community, you see churches where they all seem to be very homogeneous. They all look the same. They dress the same. They don't have that multicolored, variegated aspect that God calls us to have. We should mirror to the world what true culture should look like because we represent the true kingdom, not a false kingdom, not a broken kingdom. We should be a place where people can look and see this is how it should work. This is how it should look. 
I love this from John R. Stott in his um, book on Ephesians. He says, the church as a multiracial, multicultural community is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No other human community resembles it. They try, but they can't. Its diversity and harmony are unique. But is that the way we look? Is that the way most churches look? We should, according to the scripture. We should be this beautiful tapestry. Daryl Bach says this, the church is to be an audio-visual display of God's reconciling work. I love that description. In this primary way, she testifies, testifies to God's grace and wisdom. So Paul encouraged living life in Christ in such a way that reconciliation is the dominant feature of church life. Don't skip past that. Reconciliation, calling those who are outside of Christ to a renewed relationship with God, that's our job. Reconciliation is the dominant feature of church life. Reconciling people from every walk of life into a right relationship with God and then enjoying our new community together and mirroring for the world, this is what it should look like. As we accomplish the reconciling work of God, we create this incredibly attractive thing called the body of Christ that people don't know what to do with. They can't explain it. They can't explain it because it's supernatural. It can only be done by the Spirit of God. We go back to 2 Corinthians 5.20. We've looked at this verse a number of times. We are ambassadors for Christ, Paul says. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message. That's what we're to be about. We're not, and we're not just to be those who reconcile. We are to be the reconciled. And there's a difference, right? I have a job to go out and share the truth about Christ to all those who will listen. But I'm also to live out that truth in my own life. I'm to be a, a living example of what reconciliation looks like. What it looks like to have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with my brothers and sisters. So it's got to work both ways. We are a living demonstration of the grace of God as we walk about, as we live our lives. People can look at us and say, what happened to you? Well, I used to be this, but now by the grace of God, I'm a child of God. I used to be an enemy of God, but now I am his son. I used to be outside the family. Now I sit at the table and enjoy fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. See, that's what we're to convey. That's what we're to model. We're a living demonstration. Not some activist organization that gets riled up over this issue and that issue. No, we are here to reconcile. So the church should be the pillar and support of the truth, right? That's just what we looked at. We should also be a bastion of racial equality. It ought to be here in the church where we see this lived out. But we don't so often. We should be a champion for biblical justice. Not justice as defined by the world, but justice as defined by God. We should be the upholders of that because all of this is truth according to God. We should be the true hope for the helpless and the hurting. We ought to be a place where people can come and find help and hope through us, through our lives. We should be salt. We should be influential. We should be light 
illuminating the world around us. But too often, we are saltless and we're dim. And we don't really influence and we don't illuminate. And that's why people are not attracted to the church. Because we're not attractive as the church. So we have our work cut out for us. If we're going to be the light of the world, as Jesus said, He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they set it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. I loved how Cody put it uh, this uh, last Sunday in his message. He said, you know, that little song, this little lamp of mine, I'm going to let it shine in my bedroom, in my dining room, in my house, but not outside the walls of my house. No, that's not what we're called to be. We're to shine so that everyone can see that light. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice his emphasis on good deeds. We are to live out our lives in such a way that people see our actions and behavior and they know that there's something in us that is greater than us. There's a power. There's something that allows us to do the good deeds that we do. It's not just our self-righteous deeds, but it's because we have the power of the living God within us. So again, this passage we've looked at so many times in 2 Corinthians 5. Let's unpack it again. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We are new. We're new creatures, new creations. We have a, a, a new nature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us to him. Now he's asking us to reconcile a lost world to him. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting you and I with the same message of how to be reconciled with a holy God. That's our job. That's our mission. See, in Christ, God reconciled the world to Him. And now Christ has given us that very same responsibility. He's, he's passed off that responsibility to His disciples and by extension to you and I as followers of Christ. Jesus was the source of reconciliation. He's the one who died, who gave His sinless blood poured out His life so that we might have eternal life. He's the source, but guess what? We're the proof. That's an amazing thought, guys. We are the proof of reconciliation, that it really works. How? By how we live together in community, by how we carry out the gospel message, upholding the truth through our lives, through our community, demonstrating through our love that we are we have been reconciled, exhibiting through our good deeds that we have been reconciled to God, displaying through our hope that we've been reconciled. Guys, we should be the most hopeful people on this planet, but so many of us are so, we live in despair, we live in doubt, we live in fear and anger and apprehension, and we should be hopeful and we should be displaying that hope because we know how the story ends and we know how to get people right with God, but we got to tell them. We should evidence by our diversity that we have been reconciled. 
The church ought to be the one place on this planet where people of all walks of life can come together and love one another and love God Almighty together. And we should reveal our reconciliation with God through our speech, not harshness, not vitriol that flows out both on social media and in conversations where more hatred comes out of our lips than love. That's not what we're called to do. That's not who we're called to be. We are to be the greatest living testimony to the reality of reconciliation and life transformation. We are the billboards for these things. We walk around in the world and we're to be living proof of God's reconciling power made available through Jesus Christ and life transformation made possible through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. But do we? Are we? Is the church doing what it's been called to do? Are we making known the truth of God? Are we revealing the power of reconciliation? See, you and I should be living letters of recommendation that this truth is real and it works. That Jesus Christ was the Son of God, did come to earth, died on a cross, was was crucified, buried, and raised again, and someday He's coming again. And we are proof that all of that is true by our transformed lives. I love what Peter writes to the Corinthian believers. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation through your lives, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Your very lives are proof of that written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. That's what this is all about. That's what the church is here for. See, it comes to a point, and I think we're at that point right now in, in our society and in our world in 2021, as we come to the end of this year, that we need to be more, that more than just words. We need to be living out what we say we believe, what we proclaim with our lips needs to start showing up in our lives. See, we're not going to change the culture through words. I know you sometimes think you can, which is the whole reason you post on social media. You're going to get your opinion out there and your opinion is going to change somebody, but I have rarely seen that happen. You'll never argue somebody into the kingdom. Never. You can attract them to the kingdom, though, through your life through the way you love, through the way you care, for, through the empathy and compassion that you show to them, even when you don't agree with them. See, it's got to be more than words. Without tangible evidence, living proof that reconciliation with God is possible, the message of reconciliation becomes nothing but a theory. It's another ideology. See, if it's just words without proof, it's theory. But it's not theory because it does work. We have been changed. But are we living it out in daily life? The power of the gospel is in its proof. See, I can go out and declare the gospel till I'm blue in the face, till I run out of oxygen. But if my life doesn't exhibit the transforming power of the gospel, it's just so much rhetoric. And people look at me and go, well, you're no different than I am. You're just as bigoted. You're just as angry. You're just prone to X, Y, and Z sin. So how are you any different? And that's why they walk away. That's why so many of our young people, when they reach a certain age, 
they decide to walk away from the church because they look at their parents and they've heard all the words come out of their lips, but they've never seen it shown up in the way they live their lives. And that's why it's so important that we hear this message today in the age in which we live. Anyone can promise results, right? And, and we see it all over social media. We can fix it. We can change it. That's what every ideology screams. Anyone can promise results, but only God can actually produce them. And guess what? We're the proof. Should be the proof. We should be the evidence. We should be those living letters that Paul talked about. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, When I first came to you, I, I didn't use lofty words, rhetoric, fancy speech, impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. Then he goes on and says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. This guy would never pastor a church in the United States. He's not impressive. He's not charismatic. He even admits my message and my preaching were plain. Nobody wants to hear that. And yet, he says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. See, see, Paul knew that for their lives to be changed, it wasn't going to be because he was a great speaker. It was going to be because he preached the truth. And in too many pulpits today, we have pastors who are worrying more about how they come across their delivery then they worry about the content, the message. Are they preaching the truth? Are they upholding the gospel and presenting the gospel with clarity, even if it has to be plain? See, Paul was himself proof of God's reconciling power, and he knew the Corinthians were also proof of that same power. Listen to what he says in chapter 6. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? But don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or, male, or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or the abusive or cheat people. And right now, some of you are going, yeah. And, and you're thinking about certain people or you're thinking about certain lifestyles out there that fit this category. You're about to shake your fist at them. But he says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on and says, some of you were once like that. See, this is where we have to be really careful. Before we start pointing our finger of judgment, we have to realize that we're really pointing it at ourselves. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right or reconciled with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, we have been reconciled from another lifestyle. We have been made right with God when we were once enemies of God. And that is the message we're to proclaim the Corinthians were the message of reconciliation. Their lives were to be the message. And guess what? So are we. So are we. Here's, here's something I want you to take home and really think about. As the church, we are to be the pil pillar of the truth, right? The truth regarding Jesus Christ and His transformative power. We're to be the walking evidence of God's grace. But for the grace of God, go I, go you. In other words, we could be just as evil as anybody out there that we deem evil if God had not shown us grace. We're proof of the gospel's power, that it can change lives. We're the confirmation of the Spirit's presence. 
The very fact that we can live different lives is due to the indwelling power and presence of the Spirit. So we should live this out. So real quickly, I want to look at Acts chapter 2, and I want to go back to the, the very beginning of the church of Jesus Christ when God sent the Holy Spirit down and He filled those disciples who were hiding in that room. It says in verse 41, So those who received His word were baptized. What happened? Well, those disciples who had been hiding were, were empowered by the Holy Spirit and they began to teach and preach and immediately things started to happen. They were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and they began to proclaim the truth regarding Jesus and there were 3,000 souls added to the church in one day because of one sermon preached by Peter who just days earlier had turned his back on Jesus Christ. Incredible things happen. And then it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, this is an incredible story, right? But it seems like it's ancient history. We don't see this happening anymore, but we should, right? We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same message to proclaim. So what's wrong? Why don't we experience this? Why isn't the Lord adding to our number like He did then? We see it happening in third world countries. We see it happening in China where the church is under oppression. But why is it happening here? See, here's how you and I can impact the culture. If you really want to change the culture, this is how you do it. Heartfelt devotion to the teaching of God's Word. Get off social media and get into God's Word. Quit debating with your neighbors about what's right and wrong with the culture and go to God's Word. Gather together to hear the teaching of God's Word. Have an unwavering commitment to biblical community. See, the sad thing right now is, is we have so many people who have vacated the premises of the church due to COVID. They're fully vaccinated. They probably even got their booster shot and they've failed to come back to the church. But if you want to change the community, we've got to be committed to our biblical community, our family. We need to faithfully participate in corporate worship, lifting up the name of God, encouraging one another through our singing and through our, our prayers and listening to the Word of God being taught. We need to be in prayerful reliance upon God at all times, together and individually. We need grateful acknowledgement for His goodness. See, all of these are what are in that passage. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2. They, they came together and they constantly thanked God for what He was doing in their midst and they lived selflessly concerned for the needs of one another. We are so myopic and so tunnel-sided and so obsessed with ourselves that even in the church we forget to look around and see the needs. But if you want to change the culture, it's got to start in the house of God. We need to have a desire to live in favor with all men. I love that statement. 
We need to care about all men and live in favor with them. But we have a list of people that we have chosen to hate because they don't think like us, look like us, vote like us. And guys, that's not what we're called to. We're called to love as Christ loved. We're called to um, share with all those, even those who don't look like us, those who don't believe like us. We're to have favor with all men. I love this from Galatians 5. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. If you're like me, you're everyone's pretty limited. Your definition of everyone starts in your house and then doesn't get much further. Maybe a small group of friends. But see, that word is everyone, lost and saved, Jew and Gentile, slave or free, black, white, red, it doesn't matter, everyone. Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. It's got to begin here. If we can't do it here, it's never going to make it outside the walls. But we're to extend outside the walls doing good. Acts 10.38, Peter in one of his sermons said, you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good. See, Jesus did good. He healed all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Guess what? God is with us. We are to do the same thing as Jesus. Follow his example, doing good in the church, outside the church, living out his nature through our own lives. But what's that look like in real life? Well, I want to go real quickly to Matthew chapter 25. And this is a fascinating passage and we're not going to be able to unpack all the context. But this is really talking about the end times and we'll deal with this a little bit more next week. This is looking way into the future and Jesus is giving a glimpse into what's going to happen in the end. And during the period of tribulation when the Antichrist is putting so much persecution on the people of God, both Jews and those who have come to faith in Christ during the tribulation. There are going to be people who are in desperate need of help. They're being persecuted. They've had to flee their homes. They, they are trying to escape death at the hands of Antichrist. And Jesus paints a picture of that there will be those who come to faith in Christ during the period of tribulation who are going to help those around them. Listen to what he says. It's in the form of a parable. He says, Then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit us and visit you? They're, they're confused. And then he says, the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. See, these people who are living during the tribulation in a time of great distress and great persecution are going to go out of their way to help those around them who are hurting. They're going to live out Christ's likeness in the most unchristlike period of time the world has ever seen. And what they do, they're essentially doing to Him. See, we're not called to condemn or correct the culture. Our job is not to compromise with the culture. We're not to isolate ourselves from the culture. 
the culture isn't even our primary concern. It's people. We got to care about people. And we got to live the way Christ lived, feeding the hungry, satisfying those who are thirsty, welcoming the stranger into our midst. We've got to clothe the literal naked. We've got to heal the sick. We've got to visit the prisoners. See, these have physical and spiritual implications. We, we need to care about the physical needs of people. If you want them to listen to the gospel, you've got to meet them where they're hurting. And you can't just go to poor people and talk about the goodness of the gospel without helping them in their poverty. You can't go to people who are dying and tell them about this wonderful news without doing something to help them in, in their distress. This is what the church is called to do. And they're all expressions of love. They require great sacrifice, right? Well, guess what? Jesus sacrificed for you and I. They demand impartiality. I don't get to choose who I want to show these things to, who I want to live out this to. I've got to be impartial and I've got to be free from judgment. And that is so hard for you and I, right? We're born to judge, it seems. We, we can't help but judge everyone we see. You don't deserve my grace. You don't deserve my mercy. But what if Jesus had taken that approach? None of us would be here. And we all have to do it expecting nothing in return, just like Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. That's, as how, that's how we change, quote, the culture. We change the people who make up the culture. We, we, we promote, support, uphold the truth, and we live it out in our lives. That's what we've been called to do. So next week, we're going to look at the kingdom to come. We're going to look in greater detail what's out there in the future that we have to look forward to. But today, here's your questions. Jesus puts a high priority on visible expressions of love. What does that have to do with sharing the gospel? What has that got to do with you and I upholding the truth, being the support of the truth? See, if it doesn't show up in tangible expressions of love, it's all, as we said, just rhetoric. It's words. Secondly, discuss the following statement. The church is not an activist organization, but an active and living illustration of God's wisdom, truth, love, and power. Do you agree with that? If so, why don't we live it out? And then finally, how can we do a better job of living that out in daily life? How do we put shoe leather to that statement? And it begins here. It begins in the house of the Lord. It begins, begins with us caring about those within the body of Christ and then going outside the walls and taking it to those who we live next door to, those who we work with, the people we run into when we're shopping. See, we have a mandate and we've got to take it seriously and we've got to do what we've been called to do. And if we do, we'll see things happen just like they did in Acts chapter 2. We'll see people come to faith and we will see lives transformed in a major way. Well, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this message that we have of reconciliation. Father, we are the greatest example that it's true because you've reconciled us with you. But Father, sometimes we don't live it out. We, we don't live in the power you've given us. We don't live with the hope you've extended to us. We don't have the joy that we should have. And therefore, people are not attracted to us. And if they're not attracted to us, they're not attracted to your word, your gospel, because we don't look like it works. So would you light a fire within us? Would you help us to understand that what we have been given is of great value and it needs to be shared 
with all those around us. Father, we want to see this world changed, but it begins with us being changed so that we can be living, walking examples of the truth. And I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Guys, we'll see you next week for the final lesson in this series. Have a great week.